Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus, to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Dear fellow Christians, you don't have to spend a whole lot of time in airports to gain a whole raft of experiences. You probably noticed that. You don't need to be in many airports and watch many people to have different things happen. And many of them are memorable, some are discouraging, but it's interesting. I'll share two such with you. Both are related, but both a little bit different. The first one was both happened when my wife and I were waiting to be reassigned because we didn't get on the flight we wanted. And the first one was a young man sauntered rather casually, I remember, up to the gate to present his ticket five minutes before the flight was scheduled to depart. And I remember hearing him say that he was in the bar having a drink waiting for his flight. Now either he had many more than one drink or he hadn't the faintest clue how airports work. He thought he could just saunter up to the gate five minutes before departure time and get on the plane. And he was mystified when the gate attendants looked like him, like he was some alien being from a different galaxy, and said to them simply, said to him simply, sir, I'm sorry, the door has closed. And at first he looked mystified. He's like, well, open it and I'll get on. I still have five minutes. Well, okay, you could walk down the gateway, but you'd have to fly to the airplane that is now taxiing on the runway. Just didn't have, anyway, this guy, he was obviously embarrassed, he was flummoxed, he was frustrated, but he took it like a man. Not so the second one. Different day, different flight, different gate, but the same scenario. And this one was a 20-something young lady who did the same thing, walked to the gate or even hustled, whatever. And when she was told that the door was already closed, that the door had been closed, she could not fathom how it couldn't just be opened again. She didn't grasp the meaning of those words, the finality of them. The door has been closed. And she didn't take it well. After pleading over and over again, please, 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 just open the door for me and I'll get on. Please, please, please. And she finally had dawned on her the finality of, no, you missed your flight. She walked a short distance off and sat down and wailed. Wailed loudly at well, if it wasn't at the top of her voice, it would have been at the top of my voice. Just wailing throughout the airport, everybody could hear it. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? This despite the fact that I'm pretty sure I heard the gate attendant say, it's okay, we'll get you on the next flight in a couple hours. Evidently, I don't know, we don't know all of the history or what was going on, the circumstances, but she impressed us as a young lady who hadn't met with much disappointment in life and had never been told no. 
Now, take that, and instead of thinking of the door to the gateway or to the jet bridge to the airport plane, we're not talking about that door, we're talking about the door of heaven. And the finality of the door has closed. And in fact, think of that from two different perspectives. First, the perspective of the one who is on the plane. And that, that, those words, the door has closed, are music to any standby passengers because you know that they're not going to open it. You have a seat. I've been ex escorted off an airplane because some a ticketed passenger had come. So the finality of those words, the door is closed to those who are on the inside, the right side of the door, is music to their ears. But contrast that with the, lament, the lamentations of this poor young gal who didn't make it, who was on the outside. This is a seriousness of the warning from our Savior himself this morning as he gives us this stark reminder of the reality that someday that door will close and no amount of pleading will open it. Nothing can change the determination all that's left is, will a human being be on the inside or outside of that door? And we need that reminder because we tend to lose track of what's truly important. What is that one critical thing that we need in this life? The text by which our Savior himself will instruct us is found in Matthew's Gospel, the 25th chapter. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish ones took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came, virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is God's word, recorded and preserved down through the ages for you today, here, for his children to learn and to grow, that our God would bless us through the study of these sacred divine words of his. So we pray, sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. Doesn't our loving, merciful Savior God have a wonderful way of 
snapping us back out of wherever it is we've drifted into the seriousness and that one thing needful, purging us from the trivialities that tend to get us so preoccupied and upset and frustrated and back to that one thing needful. And he does it in a variety of different ways. The, the, the friend, the young person who has a heart attack, the relatively young person, that age is getting older for me, but who has a heart attack, or the diagnosis of cancer to another friend or family member, just suddenly gives perspective to that little drop in your 401k balance, or the score of the football game, or whatever. The, the, the dent in the car, the accident in the car, snaps you out of this, this love of that car, that automobile, whatever it is, and teaches you again the importance of the occupants in the car rather than the car itself. You get it. You've probably had thousands of these in your lives, many, where somehow God sort of brought you back into a, a better appreciation of what's important and what really isn't important. With that, we turn to our text for this morning, and we join those ten virgins who are awaiting the coming of the bridegroom. Now, probably some background in what is going on here would be helpful. In Bible times, it was customary for virgins to wait for a bridegroom to come. He would travel to a wedding feast, and they would wait. They would light their lamps and escort the bridegroom into the wedding feast, and then they would go in with him. That's just what they did. It was their custom. Understand one point here that's especially important. Those virgins had one job. That's it. Somebody else was doing the cake. Somebody else was doing the guest book. I don't know. They had those things. They had one job. And that was to have lamps that they could light so when the bridegroom came, they would lead him into the wedding hall. That's it. That was their one job. You have to understand that because when you hear that there were five wise and five foolish virgins, virgins that were not able to accompany the bridegroom into the bridal chamber, in the, bride, in the wedding hall, they failed at their one job, utterly. Nothing else mattered because they failed. Now, again, we're not talking about a wedding here, are we? This is just the picture Jesus used. We're talking about heaven. And the ten, used in the Bible often as a number of completion, we understand to be the full number of Christians waiting for Jesus. That's it. Do you see how God is using, our Savior is using us to snap us back to that one thing needful? We have one job. One thing that we cannot afford to miss, and that is faith in Jesus Christ and the fact that he's returning, and we want to be ready when he does. And if we fail in that, nothing else matters. Nothing. What then of, in this parable, what then of the oil and the lamp and the fire and all of this. Well, 
Jesus didn't spell it out. Sometimes he did, where his disciples will say, said to him, we don't get it, will you tell us? We don't have that. He may have explained it to them later, but it isn't in the Bible. So this is what we know is an open question. There are different ideas on what they mean, but all center around pretty much the same thing. My understanding is that the, the flame represents faith. The oil represents grace in the word of God. So it's God's grace through the word that brings us to faith, fire, and that faith will naturally produce work, so that flame produces light, which is what led the bridegroom in. Again, an open question, but clearly Jesus is talking about these elements. Grace, the word of God, faith. We heard in our first reading from Amos how God said, he asked the godless, the unbelievers, how could you possibly be looking forward to the Lord's day of judgment? Do you not understand what that's going to be like? All those who imagine that they're ready, imagine that they're prepared, but who are not will be bitterly, eternally disappointed. They will not be able to fathom that the door has been closed and they're on the wrong side of it. And so we go back to those wise and foolish virgins. The five foolish virgins believed that they were ready. Lamp, check. Oil in the lamp, check. Flame, check. We're good. All set. And yet the wait was longer than they thought, and they hadn't made provision. So how does that apply to you? It's, it's just kind of distant, doesn't it? We're, we're sort of detached spectators at this point, looking at, okay, ten women there, five foolish, five wise, some had extra, they looked ahead. But when you understand that the oil is not just grace, but the word of God. It all begins to make sense, doesn't it? There's no one here, perish the thought, of, that would want to be outside. In other words, have no faith in their heart when Jesus returns. And hear him say those horrible words that they were accurate, but still terrifyingly horrible. I do not know you. To have the Savior say to us, I do not know you. And then I, th I think back to the lamentations of that poor young lady who missed her flight. It's such a minor thing. Now compare that to the lamentations of those who are sentenced by God for all eternity to hell. And that immutable, unchangeable declaration, the door has closed. God does not want that for his children. So what is he teaching us here? How, how do we, where do we find ourselves? Are we wise? Are we foolish? What is God's message to us here? Well, answer the question this way. What would those women, those foolish virgins, have given 
for extra oil. When this was their one job. They would have given anything, right? I imagine they would cost would have been no object. Whatever they had, they would have given. And yet they couldn't give anything. If they didn't have it when they needed it, they would never have it. So what about you in that word? Well, ask yourself this. What would someone give for that word of God that creates and sustains faith? What would someone give on the day of judgment for that? For that precious commodity, the thing that creates and then sustains saving faith, the thing that gets you in the door to heaven. What would they give for it? Everything, the world, everything that they stressed about and worked so hard to gain, they would give it all up in a heartbeat for that one thing needful. And it'll be too late. They can't buy it at any price, though they would give all. And how does it relate to you? You have it right now. How long before Jesus returns? We don't know. We don't know at all. But Jesus gave us this word of God to not only bring us to faith, which is where you are, but to sustain and strengthen that faith. And it's there right now. Every time we open our Bibles, every time you come and hear the word, every time you go to Bible class, every time you have a devotion with personally or with your family or friends or whatever, you are availing yourself of that power of God's word. Your faith is being strengthened. You are learning more. You're gaining the ability to combat or refute error, to keep from listening to the devil's clever schemes. Did God really say? And you can answer him then with, thus saith the Lord, as Jesus answered his temptations in the wilderness. You can have that. It's there right now, and you're still in time. And you're doing right now exactly what your God wants you to do. How is that word strengthening you? You don't know. You don't know all the ways. No one does. So you see how this whole parable is intended to drag us away from the trivial and meaningless and put ourselves in the position, first of those foolish virgins, who would look back and think, why didn't I just? What was I thinking? And God is saying, Exactly. Now, I have your attention. Here's what you can do. It's pretty easy. Avail yourself of the power of my word. Do it every day. And then what does Jesus promise? If you abide in my word, that means if you stay in it, then are you my disciples indeed. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So this isn't intended to terrify those who are Christians. It's intended to remind us of that one thing needful. It's intended to help us to see nothing should come before that. Nothing should come between us and God's word. We need to prioritize. We need to strip away all of the trivialities that we can so that that one thing we open ourselves to that power of God that fills and strengthens and encourages us. That's why, that's exactly why, every Sunday here we are about 
God's Word. We will never replace God on His throne with something else. Mothers, fathers, children, the nation, nothing. Because we've been given that one thing needful. You know that Jesus Christ offered his payment on Calvary's cross. And you know God the Father's immutable, permanent declaration. I accept your death, my son, following your innocent life. I accept it as payment for the sins of the world. You are not guilty. You, through faith in Christ, have been washed clean of every single sin. How liberating. How unjust as Jesus, as far as Jesus was concerned. But what joy this divine justice gives us. God did not overlook sin. He could not. He would not be a just God. Sin found its punishment. But not in you, not in me, in Jesus. We want to now thank him. We want to do what he wants us to do. We want to flee from the sin that entangles us. But we want that because we already know we have been cleansed. We have been forgiven. Jesus paid for those sins. But that change in us means I don't want to disappoint my Savior who saved me. I want to do what he wants me to do. Is that easy? No. It's also interesting in our parable that all of the virgins fell asleep. It wasn't that five of them fought that tendency and were there. We're going to be weak. We're going to do things that aren't what we're supposed to do. And yet they had that extra oil. So again, relating it to us, there's a storage of strength that God builds up through time, through the hearing of his word. You wonder when you meet these old Christians and they, they greet death so bravely, so it's not like they're clinging to this. They're, I'm so ready to go home and, and be with my Savior. And that's just a lifetime of being filled and strengthened by that word of God. That's what our Savior wants for me, for you, for all of his children. The Holy Spirit brought you to faith through the power of his word. That's the means by which he will preserve you in that word. Make use of the gift that he gave you. Avail yourself of the power that's his. Right now, you can do that. Before the day of judgment comes, when you would give anything to be able to go back and do it over. God preserve us through Christ in that saving faith.